I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's good, y'all? This is Ellery from VA. And y'all are listening to Dame Back T's Questions Everything. My question is, why is it that I can never get a beef patty, oxtail, or curry goat at the local Jamaican spot? I swear there's some kind of conspiracy going on here. Just some food for thought. Anyway, here comes the show. And remember, y'all, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste. My producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Everything from Ellery from Virginia, USA's question. Why is it I can never get a beef patty, oxtail, or curried goat at my local Jamaican restaurant? Dane, over to you. First of all, shout out Ellery in the States. And, Big uh, up. Make sure yeah. you vote this week. Definitely, Make sure you're exactly. voting. Yeah, please do vote. Oh my God, vote. And if you still want to, it might be hard to get it now, but if you don't vote the right <laughs> way, you might never get beef patties on Oxtel ever again. Um, but uh, I would say the reason why you can never get one is because, I mean, you are describing the equivalent of gold ingots in the Jamaican cuisine. you got to be there early, bro. I understand it, but you got to think of beef patty, particularly Oxtel, as like the latest supreme hoodie. If you're not there a week before planning it, or some homeless dude's not standing in line for you in a kind of <laughs> culinary hype beast, it's going to be hard to get the Oxtel. You know, you, you know Oxtels, I mean, that is, that is, uh, that's brown gold right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Ellery? Brown gold and gravy. <laughs> a lot of love from the UK to you in Virginia uh, thanks for your question we ask and answer all the questions as all always the questions. And no question is too small too big too stupid or too seasoned or marinated in delicious spices um, so if you like the show please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or subscribe to us on Acast the world's largest podcast network where we have all the special guests asking all the big questions. And with that being said, on today's show is a British actor. In TV and film, he has appeared in such projects as Holby City, Cockneys vs. Zombies, and of course, the first black British sitcom on British television in 20 years, Sunny D. On stage, he's appeared consistently for the Royal Shakespeare Company in plays including Othello, As You Like It, and Measure for Measure. And he has recently been on T- ITV's The Cube with old school friend Mo Gilligan trying to win money for a very good cause, uh, which is his natural behaviour. He's also my showbiz homie. Please, finally, welcome to the show, Mr. David Ajayo. Thank you, my brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, what's up? Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no, thank you for having me on, seriously. Um, and that was a good intro, boy. Right. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we write good intro. Way. We write good intro. We, write good, we have all the flowers, all the flowers, all the patties. Oh, my days. All the oxtails, <laughs> with the broad beans, and two, two choices of reds. That's the kind of meals, meals of food for thought we want to serve up to our audience and to our guests. So what's been happening? Do you have OnlyFans yet in this in this, these hard times? Listen... Anonymously, yes, I do. All right. All right. Um, you know, you might know me as the Masked Bandit. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry. A, a nervous knowing laugh, Howard. <laughs> I was just laughing. I was laughing. Are you, are you really suggesting David's doing porn? Is this, I mean, is it, is it fine if you are? I just want to know. I just I didn't, I would put it in your biog. Only uh, found it necessarily porn. Exactly. I don't appreciate the porn tag. Um, I prefer adult entertainment. That's what I'd like to go with at the moment. Um, and listen, look, everybody's got to make their money right now. Everybody needs to go in and find new avenues to um, get a little cash. And I found mine. Listen, so. David, I respect it thoroughly. I'm just probably just in some ways envious because I have very little to offer only fans. I, I don't know what, what did you say your name was? Mars Bandit. Mars, Mars Bandit. Bandit. I'd be like, I'd be like withering Jew would be my, <laughs> be my something like <laughs> kosher withering. I was just very is, little. The good thing about only fans is there will be a market for that. You know, there'll, yeah. be, there'll yeah. be like an alt-right group who want to witness and fetish, the yeah, and, and fetishize it yeah in a, exactly exactly there you go but i have to I, i'm a novice to only fans i'm just going to say to you both i don't know much about only fans and i have a five month old child which means any leisure time is very limited um <laughs> <laughs> but i did look at it because i heard i was i was like oh people are talking about this thing i need oh, you know, i work in the media i need to know what the fuck's going on in the world and i looked at it and i was like wow this is okay so this is porn of some kind okay and then i clicked on one of the people and then they were like do you want to see pictures of me it's like well i guess that's why i'm here uh it's like the 16 quid it's like what that's fucking nuts what and that's an amazing business model if it's working for people mate it's basically that you know when you was kids and you'd go and someone would be like ah i'll show you my bum on my boobie if you want and then you'd be like yes please and then you get flashed and it'll just be for you that's what it is. But, <laughs> wait a minute. But now, wait, wait. I just want to—I just want to take a small peek into this window into your childhood. So people were going, <laughs> yeah. people were going around offering to show you their bum or their boob, just or, willy nilly. Or- or their mini, David, as it was called in those days. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you can work out what that means in context. <laughs> I think I just think this is a natural way that children explore themselves is that they'll just go, look at this, or look at this. And OnlyFans takes that business model and goes, look at it, uh, it's going to cost you. <laughs> and, that's, and then, you know, essentially, it's like, it's, like if, it's like Uber has met, I guess, the adult film industry in that, you know, Especially now where, because if you are a sex worker, you can't actively be out uh, maybe in a venue or a premises in order for you to do sex work. Uh, OnlyFans kind of supplements that by you being able to have direct contact with your potential customers or a customer base and exchange either, I guess, pictures or depicting uh, sexual favors or, yeah, normal, I guess, whatever uh, your remit is as a sex worker. And yeah, and it also allows for people within the adult film industry who can't record and play at the moment because due to uh, COVID as well, in order to have direct contact with their customers. And uh, mm. so I think it's quite good. I mean, so there's a lot of advantages to it, particularly for the sex trade, whereby, you know, the sex trade, obviously, whether people acknowledge it or not, contributes massively to most uh, free uh, economies in the West. However, you know, not, not, not a lot of protection is provided for sex workers. Internet porn is still free, right? It is still free, but I guess for some people, it's like if you want to be very specific, because I guess some people are like, "I'm over internet porn," and it's and it's stuff like a, like a like a lady, some a guy might be like, "I would like to see you in a picture with red Calvin Klein briefs frying an egg," and then she'll say that will cost you three hundred pounds. So it's about it's OnlyFans basically. Yeah, it's about adding that you know the level of specification that we're all used to now in terms of our online shopping journey. Is that the same right. thing now that people? It's not only like you know you want to see 
naked ladies, you want to see a, a stag that specifically caters towards your needs. Like a guy might be like, I want to see you cook a spaghetti with your butt out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this is probably the only still where we can still monetize human connection and stuff, especially if you can't go to a concert or go to a show now. So get your balls out on your camera. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say, actually, I would like to say that I'm not on OnlyFans. Just in case, like, because my mum would listen to this. So (laughs) I'm not showing my balls on the internet for money. Not on OnlyFans, only to women whose first name is Doctor. And even yes, then, yeah. don't say check, don't say physical. <laughs> no, how do you actually? No, would you would do? Would you prefer a woman if you had to go in and have a ball examination? Would you uh, ask specifically for a woman, or would? Is you this your question for the show? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it could be. It could David, be. David, David, <laughs> no, David, you always you always get a warm up. Do you know what, David? Historically, yeah, I would have said yes, but now I'm just more concerned with key workers that could perform their job safely and competently at the moment in it. So whoever can do the job properly in it. I do find though that my historic toxic masculinity, even though I'll be comfortable examined by a woman and I'd be and she'd be like, oh, so quick look at your penis. That's okay. And then I'd be like, just okay. But <laughs> 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 obviously that, that woman's a trained professional. And like I said, that's from more of a, a deep seated like toxic masculinity, a chauvinism, yeah. But I expect the woman to go, oh my god, Tracy Sandra, anyone, come in here. <laughs> this is the penis I've ever seen. It's like in Pulp Fiction when they open the suitcase, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my days! Have anything in She literally, they literally all pass out one after yeah. a time. They just all <laughs> fall. <up. laughs> well, we've learned so much already in this this episode this week about Dane's uh, p- potential power of his penis, but um, it is it is with the format needs that we move it over to a question uh, as as we always do don't we Dane? As we do which can be phallic but that's down to David as our esteemed guest and a longtime friend David we welcome you to answer the first question on the podcast which we will all discuss for 15 minutes and some change how do we do the same and ask a question which we'll also discuss for about 15 minutes and some change and then we bring the show to a nice uh, round and with me asking a question to yourself and then we all discuss and then we all find out where we can find your good stuff that has no connection to only fans whatsoever and then everybody have a nice time sound like a plan great sounds good dane are you are you opening like fruit pastels there or something what you got uh, I wish. No, I'm just, I think I just... Say, what, we can bring snacks into this? There's a rustle. There's a rustle. I thought I heard a rustle. No, 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 I've got my house all like, like, the thing is, I've got my house set up like a little office now, innit? Yeah. So, all, like, things are proper. I didn't want to come with, I got water, but I didn't come with any, like, proper, this is tap water. It's not branded drinks. I ain't got no sweets here. But I, I didn't see. know we could casually come with stuff, though. I see your water and I raise you a water in a hipster jar. It's from ah. a jar in the no, Oh, my but, gosh. Yeah. I've only got one, though, so I need to get more of these. <laughs> um, David, we're, we're excited to hear. What, what, what's your question? Okay, now I've been thinking about how I wanted to word this question. Um, now, me personally, just a little backstory. Me personally, I um, I don't like very many people in it, and I'm very <laughs> blunt. But, I mean, <laughs> thought I would get that out right off the bat. I don't like very many people. Um, so, so the people that I do like, you know, um, uh, like look, it takes a lot, and it it takes a lot for me to get to that point, but. Um, 
And, and I feel like a lot of people are dickheads. I'm just going to be honest. That's mm. my feelings on several people in the world. Now, <laughs> <laughs> for a cause, so if somebody comes out and starts championing the cause, how much do we give them lead, leeway if their past actions have labelled them as a dickhead? So say, for example, Piers Morgan, right? Mm. Piers Morgan is in my opinion, an absolute prick for many, many reasons. You hear that, Piers? Uh, I keep telling you, you're rubbing people up the wrong way. He listening. I mean, he he listening. Of course he is. Of course he is. And this will, this will hurt him deeply, the fact that I think that he's a prick. He must have seen it coming. <laughs> but he has gone on Twitter, uh, let's say over the last few months, and there's certain things that you go, oh, you know what? He's actually making sense. And, and people are sort of praising him for that. Now, there's a lot of people that I know within the industry that are exactly like that. I think that they're absolute dickheads and they've, they've got a form of that. Now, do we allow all of that past stuff because they're saying that one good thing or they, and, and not that they could change their mind about stuff. They're just right on this one topic. Now, do we allow that and forget all of their past transgressions or do we go, no, you're still a prick. <laughs> it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because I think there's many levels to what you're talking about, really. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the way you were talking at the start, I, I, I kind of got the sense that we were talking kind of about your personal relationships as in friendships, right? Like maybe you don't let people uh, become your friends very easily <laughs> because you think a lot of people are dickheads, which I, for one, really believe in. Like I don't think people need as many friends as they think they do. Uh, yeah. And that's a big mistake. Everyone wants to be everyone's friend at school. Do you remember? Like, do you remember bringing sweets in to school on your birthday or stuff like that? All that kind of trying to make everyone be your friend? Like, see, I used to sell sweets. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't bring them in for free. I would sell sweets and donuts. (laughs) Nice. Kevin Henry's dad came in. He was like, and uh, we're going to have a sports day. And all the kids can bring in snacks. And his dad gave him, this is Akian Saltfish and this is Tropical Joe's. I remember being there thinking like, oh, it's delicious, but they won't understand. <laughs> also, there's not, enough, there's not enough for everyone to go around. And then the teacher's like, well, Kevin, how come you've not got like fairy cakes or biscuits? And his dad's like, biscuit? This is the best food available. <laughs> I was like, what a G. That's a great move. That's a great move. I want a carton of (laughs) trouble A 30 30 plastic cups. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? I'm not making food for everybody. As far as he's concerned, he grew up in Jamaica as a grown grown old man. He's like, there's water fans everywhere. I'm bringing in juice for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) But my my point was kind of the fact that you don't need friends you need a few people in your life who you can rely on that are great friends you know that's my take personally on the friendship thing so on that level i think i think i think you're bang on but then as dane will probably kind of we and we've definitely looked at this on the podcast before like the good in the bad people so like we talked about wiley in the past we've talked about all sorts of people who kind of have good qualities and have bad qualities and um i think i think if someone's gonna to me anyway if someone's gonna champion something that's a good cause, maybe it can help you unite in a way that their bad qualities kind of ruin, Dane, if you, if, I don't know if you know kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think you both raised a good point, especially about the whole thing about social media and the amount of friends, is that I think what's happened over with the emergence of social media is, like you said, Howard, 
we've we've regressed back to that state of wanting to be everybody's friends. And yeah. I think with social media, people kind of the landscape of it is very similar to when you were like an adolescent or in school, in that we put people in a certain position of power because they are populist and they shout louder than everybody else. And when you was in school, there'd be a kid in your class that used to be confrontational and loud and they'd be entertaining for everybody, but really that person's not going anywhere. You also have people like, you know, your good looking people that are again exalted in society just because of the basis of how they look. And that's kind of how social media works. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is because of that, there's such a focus on the superficial is that we are we are kind of forced to kind of thrive with people that we wouldn't even normally interact with. And so I think that's why it bothers us so much more is that like you would normally not have enough of a dose of Piers Morgan to not have to be too emotionally invested in what he has to say. But you could hear some stuff and be like, that kind of makes sense. Right. But because now social media makes people and their thought process become quite ubiquitous. Normally you'd probably catch what Piers Morgan says in like a newspaper article that was pertinent to something you wanted to read about. And, you know, you were trying to get a variance of opinions or see what the perspective is on it as a whole, what the consensus is. But with like social media, you got to hear what this idiot says all the time in ways where I'm like, well, I mean, I know that an old white dude that smokes a cigar probably says this shit, but I put myself in positions normally where I don't have to hear it. Do you feel that we lower our standards of how we ju- how we judge people, what we think about people, what affects us, just so that we can elevate these people who are at the forefront of certain movements or or, or whose comments we agree with? Do we have we got to a point where we've gone and been like, yeah, usually I wouldn't. Um, I think I think it's our fault. Yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying because I, I think I think it's more of a question of how far have we as civil, as a society taken idolatry? So for me, it's like. Recently, for example, 50 Cent, and I've probably agreed or enjoyed his music, but he recently said something about being inclined to vote for Donald Trump because he'll save more on taxes than if he votes for Joe Biden. Right. And people are like, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, it's terrible. Like, you're cancelled. You don't care about black people, blah, 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 blah. But for me, it's kind of like, yeah, it's some dickhead shit. But for someone who said get rich or die trying and someone who beefed with everybody in New York and beefed with all these rappers and has been living in Mike Tyson's house, like, that's kind of on brand for what he says. And so yeah. it's not so, and, and and I've never been somebody that depended on Fifty Cent to give me any kind of moral or socio political guidance. So yeah. I think I don't think we necessarily lower our standards. I think the problem is is that we have allowed voices that really shouldn't have that much of a bearing on our lives to have a voice. Mm-hmm. So really and truly, in the case of Piers Morgan, for example, your your daytime your 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 pundit on daytime TV in it, like your real audience out. If you're not if you wasn't online. His audience are like soccer mums and their dogs in it. Like no one would give a shit what you have to say. But yeah. with online, he just has this ubiquitous and now it's been put in our face. Especially because now we have allowed uh, terms enough into our, our common vernacular like influencer. So mm-hmm. we put these people on a pedestal more than they need because an influencer really has no merit to them having a voice other than populism. Like this, So that's the thing is that it, I, I think the thing is that should we, I think what we should do in a short way is that it's like we can take on part what they're saying if it does. Human beings, we should all have it. There should be intersectionality with our ideology anyway, because we're all human beings. So there should be a meeting point where it's like, you know, like for example, there might be people who are like, I'm not too sure about immigration. I'm super pro-immigration. Well, I'm an immigrant, so I'm, but I'm against immigration. Well, I'm an immigrant, so I therefore, now all these people may have varying narratives, but for example, I feel like if you're, I'm a, I, I believe in Britain and I believe in national pride and I voted to leave. I believe in like unity within uh, Western Europe, so I voted to remain in Brexit. Well, for me, a commonality is you both should believe that British children should be able to eat every fucking day. Even though we may have conflicting ideas, there's certain truths that we should all be able to agree on. That, Like, if you work and pay taxes in a society, 
or if you are a key worker for the NHS or for any kind of uh, universal healthcare or government organisation, you should not be using a food bank. We should all be able to agree on that kind of thing. So I think anything that's kind of outside of the intersectionality of our humanity or our, us being civil civil human beings, like you should, you can be able to be both. You can be like, Piers Morgan is a dickhead, but he's right about this. So I don't think we should be able to write them off. I think that our human growth and our politics and our society is dynamic all the time. So there's a point where we can be like, yeah, remember you're a dickhead here, Piers, and like we can hold them account. So I think the real question is, it's not really about whether we uh, forgive them. It's just accountability. And they can learn. And sometimes if they do start going off track, we can remind them. And that's so, one of the important things, isn't it, where you kind of start to look at contradictions? Because that's an interesting element, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have someone who has had very uh, unpleasant views on, I don't know, uh, healthcare in this country that you feel very strongly against, but their track record on racial issues are pretty spotless. And therefore you could say, okay, well, this person I disagree with on this area, but on this area, I can see the value of their input. You know, it's th- those contradictions. I mean, I'm tempted to kind of say like, can you imagine if, you know, a famous person who's maybe been in movies or, you know, is a very successful kind of comedian or something, uh, started preaching to the public about kind of, you know, mental health, mindfulness stuff and had a bit of a dodgy record when it came to certain things. You know, you kind of start to get into a situation where people are, you know, if you are massively contradicting your actual output in life, then there has to be a line to be drawn, surely. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get that quite a lot with, with I think, actors in particular, um, especially sort of Hollywood types. Mm. Um, you know, if you, so, if you think about, what's it? Say like a Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg's history. And, yeah. and to be fair, it was uh, a very long time ago, but, you know, those racially motivated attacks on people, it yeah. was quite the tearaway. And then... Now you go and he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Now he had to to even get to that point. I what what gets on my nerves is that that takes a lot of work to get to get there. Mm-hmm. So along the way, people have known that, seen that, and been like, "Oh well, you know what? It's all right." Yeah, now he can still go and then elevate himself to a point where he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, and he's probably he's been able to do that because he's been able to circumvent you know, the state that a lot of people have to kind of come through now because he would, there was no pub court of public opinion in the form of social media back then. Right. And no one, no one brought you through stuff. And, and I think in that case, and I, I get what you're saying, it seems that for a lot of people that seem more privileged than others, he's been able to be kind of uh, rehabilitated and his redemption has come in the form of him having success. Yeah. Now, I think obviously success in terms of whether it's financial or fiscal, that's something no one's can really control. So it's not like you're only good people make money or good people are financially successful. Yeah. But I just think there's no reason why he's not still like liable for his actions. And I think at the same time, one way you can look at it is that maybe it's, it's this either these acts of, of, of hostility or the trauma that some people suffer. Sometimes that can be the catalyst for someone to change who they are, for example. It's a really good point. And um, a really interesting question. And I, I kind of feel like I want to ask, do you like us? David, uh, you guys are cool, man. You know, okay, like, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, want to check? <laughs> a little bit, little bit worried. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but, but you need, but you need dickheads in life, man. Sometimes you need people to display this behavior so that you can actually uh, be more grateful when you are around positive energy. And also, 
Like it's even, and I, I look at it as well, David. Yeah, you know, we we discuss like ideas like of morality, like good and evil, and and which can be quite binary ideas. All of those are quite subjective as well, which is why it always gets quite murky in it because some people, well, through mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance or through whatever, uh, you know, cultural suggestion, they believe what they're doing is right, or they believe they're okay in what they're doing, isn't it? So yeah. But the, the saddest thing is when uh, you know we will move on to another question. But one of the saddest things to me is when. Uh, Someone disappoints you. I'm sure you have both experienced that, where someone you thought highly of has disappointed you, and now you're like, I hate you more than the person I just normally, naturally hated. I'm going to need a statement, yeah. Russell Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, that's all I'm saying. You know, yeah. I'm not making any allegations. I'm just saying, I'm going to need a statement at some point. Mm. Do you know what, though? The thing is, like, with someone like Russell Simmons, right? Like, I... <laughs> People in those positions, I'm always sort of aware, like, listen, for you to get to that place, yeah, you must have done some dirt along the way. So I never really go and then put them on that pedestal to to be disappointed by them because I'm like, listen, I know how this industry works, innit? Yeah. And for you to be that successful, nah, you had to do some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want revealed. Now, I'm not saying going and doing, like, some Harvey Weinstein's and what, whatnot um but there would have been some things along the way that absolute certain people would have power. a, a way feel about we're absolute way past power. surprise aren't we yeah. we're way absolute past power. surprise absolute yeah. power well speaking of uh absolute power it, it's mm-hmm. a perfect segue for my question but hey david great question mate that was a that was a that was a beaut um, um but my question is going to steer into territory uh kind of somewhat in regards to your uh, career as a as an actor uh, and performer, and um, so like I'm I'm a, I'm a man with a, a five month old child. Um, one of the impacts of that child is that my wife is asleep by about nine o'clock at night now. Uh, in case anyone's trying to message her, she's asleep. Um, and uh, who's messaging your wife at them times, man? Uh, exactly. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to put this out to anyone who's thinking of doing it. Fucking, all right, I'm watching. I'm keeping an eye. You don't even sleep in the same room. Yeah, good point. No, good point. I'm not, I'm not, I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> but I've got like this period of time now where like I'm you know I'm not a guy who's asleep at nine and given the kids waking up across the night and I'm kind of looking after him while my wife get, catches up deservedly on her sleep what am I going to do you're going to watch movies right like I'm watching right. movies like and and, and I realise actually you know sometimes I do just genuinely love watching a movie I've already seen it's quite a beautiful thing to kind of go ah oh, that experience I had the first time for 90 minutes two hours was a was a brilliant thing that I really enjoyed you know and I'm kind of doing it again so I, I've had an experience recently where I have dug in on one particular genre and I want to ask you guys and I also want to put it out to our listeners we definitely want to hear your opinions on what is the greatest gangster film of all time because I think that genre is a particularly hotly debated genre I think you know if I said to you like uh fantasy or sci-fi I think everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, Star Wars, Matrix. You know, you chuck a load of shit around and uh, people will get passionate. But I really think in the kind of, particularly <laughs> certain types of blokes, uh, not that you see you guys potentially or not, but like blokes get fiery about gangster films. So right. I'm putting it out there. And we, we'll have some names, obviously. We don't have to pick your first one. But um, David, what, what instantly sprung to your mind as a great gangster film? Goodfellas. 
Ah, a classic suggestion. Absolute classic. Absolute classic. The thing is, I mean, I know, like, for some, for I, I think that there are purists out there who, you know, they they go their go tos are your Scarface or um, your your Godfather, which are all look great suggestions and stuff. But I feel like Goodfellas still. Um, those who know about the genre know about that film. Do you know what I mean? Lovely sentence. I, I get it. Yeah. I feel like it, it, you know, Scarface, everybody knows. Even people who haven't watched Scarface know about Scarface from time when you, people had the posters on their walls. I mean, uh, there was a time when you go into every teenage boy's room and there was a poster every, of Scarface. Every, every, every rapper's video had the home invasion scene. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody's introduced somebody else to say hello to their little friend. Yeah, <laughs> but then we we it, that's one of those films where there are some flaws in that film as a whole. There's some really great bits where you're like, oh yeah, no, this is brilliant. The time when he's sniffing the cocaine from the same, oh, it's called cool. iconic moments. But there are some really rubbish moments in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Goodfellas, I feel like Wait, as a what, story, what rubbish parts of Scarface, David? Please. <laughs> I say because Scarface was actually initially was panned by critics, and a lot of people don't actually know that when it first came out, it didn't really do that well. So I, I want to know if there's any particular point that stands. And out actually, you know, well, I mean, listen, just in case some people give me work, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna be <laughs> on certain aspects. Um, but what I will, I mean, it's a remake of another film as well, right? Yeah, that's a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the thing about the thing about Goodfellas is not only are there amazing performances in there, all around, across the board, there's amazing performances. The story of it, um, you know, the sort of um, anti-hero whose whole world comes crashing down, Ray Liotta's character in that. Mm. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. The chemistry, all things seem to align perfectly for that film. Uh-huh. And it still stands the test of time. You know, The Godfather is an epic, epic film. Uh But you have to be so invested. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Or yeah, in um, effort to watch it, to get through it. I've, I've sat with people that are younger than myself. Um, who have never seen it before, I've sat with them and it's been their first time and they've sort of been like, it's a bit long, isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's very slow. It's classic filmmaking, right? So yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. slow, yeah. very slow. But then um, does classic filmmaking, um, does it work in an all-out gangster film? Like what, what actually defines a gangster movie? Uh, it's, a, it's a great, and this is why I thought it was an interesting one, because I know Dane will be infinitely passionate about this. Dane, where, got, and what uh, came into your mind about this? I've got, I've got a curveball uh, that I will throw into the mix once I've, I think, I, I've heard I think from because, Dane. I think because of the, uh, yeah, the sheer depth of the uh, genre, I try to kind of divide stuff rather than have particular types of gangsters. So I even like maybe try and classify my gangster films depending on the organisation they're depicting or the region they're in and stuff like that as well. Because you could argue that like, obviously Goodfellas is way up there, but then I'd say City of God, I haven't seen a film like that before either. Okay. So, so this is why I say it's like, it's a very hard thing because the, the, the thematic aspect of it, some of the films, they can't really be measured against each other exactly. But because like, I, I kind of came up on the Italian uh, American mafia films, like right. Goodfellas. And I think through, and I spent one t- in university, I think it was my second year of uni, basically we crammed all of the, most of the, the gangster films uh, because one test, for example, is <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, the, you want to play it off? You want more? Okay, I'm reloading. <laughs> like, <laughs> most, people don't, most people think that's from Scarface and that's from Carlito's yeah. Way. Yeah. Same actor, but it's actually Al Pacino when he's in the toilet, yeah. uh, when he goes to meet his cousin, um, playing a Puerto Rican in, um, yeah, Carlito's Way. So, which again, in itself, is another great film that uh, is very separate from the kind of uh, La Cosa Nostra depictions mm, as well. So, right. um, yeah, it's a tough one. I would say, gun to my head, short answer, my favourite uh, gangster film would be Casino. Oh, what a shout! Now, the reason why is because, like you said, and I think because these films came out at a time where, you know, having that uh, scale of, like, epicness within movies and stuff was a bit more, there was a bit more focus on that. And I think at a time, like, when Casino came out, like, Martin Scorsese was, like, at his, like, peak of making films. Um, I think I like, I prefer Casino to Goodfellas is because, well, it all goes, for me, for gangster films, it's more about commentary. I remember the scene in The First Godfather when the Colossa Nostra five families are talking about selling heroin mm. and the organised crime, they're very much against the sale of drugs because of the harsh sentences and there's much people are much more inclined to turn state's evidence because of the sentencing. And then one of the mafia guys says, let's let the blacks sell it because they're animals anyway. Because they're just animale. And I remember hearing that and being like, just changing my entire, uh, it just can be completely disillusioned because I think I love gangster movies and the biggest... I think for myself and for my peers and a lot of guys of a similar background to me, the idea of having an organisation which successfully fights against power structures which seek to kind of oppress us or deprive us of the same, you know, I guess capitalist opportunities as, you know, the pursuit of happiness and wealth, being able to fight back against that outside of the rules, I think that's appealing to most young black men is that the idea is that you can exist outside of, you know, the confines of uh, society and still earn a living. I think... Personally, because of my father subjecting me to certain films, you know, like like some of the Godfathers and stuff when I was young, that, that I grew up with the idea of gangster films being about an Italian, uh, uh, Italian or Italian-American uh, brand of gangster. And mm. I think that is the most number one thing that we've all gone to, right? Whereas there is an argument to say that there is a kind of African-American gangster. Like, I don't know if people would put Boys in the Hood 
as, as as having elements of gangster films, but it's certainly got elements of kind of you know, you know, well, crime. It, 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 it's, it's, more, it's more seen as a hood film, so it's more seen as a hood film. Yeah. So I think the, the gangster, gangster films is normally they depict it as being organized crime, and it's actually an interesting point as well because hmm. there have been instances of organized crime amongst African Americans or people in general, but it's never really given. A, it's almost in a weird way we're not given the same level of respect for being able to have a certain level of organization. Because when you hear mm. about terms like black on black crime, like you look at gangster films where you're seeing, like you said, infighting happening between, you know, organized criminals of Italian American or Russian or Jewish mm. descent. And it's never referred to as Jewish on Jewish crime or Italian on Italian crime or Russian it's on Russian crime. Right? It's a crime. Whereas with, with, and what, and a lot of people say is that, for example, you had, uh, well, I think American Gangster was maybe the only one, and that could have been yeah. done to the fact that Frank Lucas actually turned state's evidence, even though the character that he's depicted in the film was not importing heroin from the Golden Triangle in people's in cadavers of soldiers. That was a lie. And the guy that it's actually based on was actually based in, uh, I think, along the in, with the Cambodia, Laos, Thailand thing. Like He was like, no one liked Frank Lucas. He used to just make too much noise, and he was kind of a hype man. Would you say New Jack City? Is a gangster film. Say that one again. New Jack City. City. I'd say it's a good. It's, it's an example of one, but probably because of budgetary constraints and limits, the scale of the operation on of how like you had crack gangs. I mean, he took over a whole building, which was like. But I think how it was kind of framed is that it's seen as being a lot more uh, arbitrary and and a lot more uh, and a lot less urbane than it should be when it comes to like black gangsters. It's, it's, it's interesting trying to trying to define the, everything that makes up one of a gangster film because there's certain films that I thought of that I would say have seeds of gangster films, but aren't what we're talking about in some ways, which is, you know, like, I actually think, you know, you can look at a film like Training Day and go, you know, this is not a classic gangster film. I mean, but, but, it's, but it is though, because it's it based is a, on- It has many, on, many gangster elements. Yeah, you know? and also because mm. of the fact that some people argue that the, especially the LAPD are one of the biggest gangs in Los Angeles yeah. and was based on the, the events that were depicted in the Rampart scandal. Mm. In, uh, where there was that whole gangs of people doing like you know witness uh, uh, evidence tampering and witness intimidation. And remember, Lonzo is killed by the Russian mafia. Mm. Yeah. So it's a big one, isn't it? It's an it's, interesting. Yeah. One. But to another one, that I thought, would you would you consider would you consider Wolf of Wall Street a gangster film? I mean, technically, it's organized crime, right? <laughs> that's, but that's yeah. what I mean. That's about, exactly. You, you proved my point. How come? Well, I mean, there's a lot of subgenres to it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, how come William Boothford gets a film? And he gets to be free, and then Hush Puppy goes to prison, and all these other and other mm. scammers they don't get the same kind of respect. They're supposed to be just like you know these bumbling criminals, but they do the same thing and make a lot of money doing it. And they're not, mm. you know, and and also the fact that it still continues to endure would be testament to the fact that as an organization, the way they operate in cells is probably maybe more efficient than some of the historic um, structures you see with like the mafia and stuff. The only reason I don't say Goodfellas is because Henry Hill was a snitch. But, actually, <laughs> but but I tell you what, I tell you, what, I'm going to back up Dane on Casino. I tell you why I'm going to back up Dane on Casino, which is I could list you a lot of great films that are gangster films. You mentioned Carlito's Way, Scarface, American Gangster. You know, Donnie Brasco's one we haven't mentioned yet. You know, great yeah. film. Lockstock. Great you know, Lockstock is a yeah, great, great, great you know, film. Yeah. 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 Bronx, Bronx Tales, another one that I think great is a great film. film. And they amazing. all are films oh, that if, oh, if you look oh, at them, Mean Streets with Harvey Keitel. Mean Streets, great, mean streets great. But That's if you look at them all, the reason I think Casino beats them all, and listen, listeners, we want to hear your take on this, right? But like, it beats them for two reasons. One is that the scale of the crime being committed is usually based around robbing shit or drugs. And don't get yeah. me wrong, yeah. 
good good for you guys and your drug you know stuff but the rip doing that level that they did in casino of building a fucking empire as they did and it being this legitimate thing out in the world is incredible and the second reason that casino might be the best and i actually watched this on friday dane so well done for getting it but <laughs> is that um it's a male dominated uh, film genre. It's you know you can tell me some great you know, but you you won't necessarily be able to tell me all the details about uh, Henry Hill's wife in uh, in Goodfellas. She's got a good role, but no one can smash exactly. Sharon Stone. That's Sharon Stone like is it. so fucking like badass. That's in that why I film. like it because she stole the show. That's why I like it as Amazing. well. She stole the show. And remember, we're talking about the Joe Pesci is in this, and mm, yeah. Robert Nero yeah. is in this, and James Woods is in this. Yeah, and you're and you're still and actually she got she got an Oscar for that. Mm. And that's it's amazing. amazing. And, uh, it's amazing. That. that being said, Lorraine um, Rako in um, Goodfellas, because Goodfellas, so, Goodfellas is so good that mm. basically The Sopranos is basically the Goodfellas box set. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you if you did, if you are in a, if you if you're in Goodfellas yet and and you didn't do Sopranos, you must have pissed somebody off <laughs> because <laughs> it was almost as if I think that like, David Casey was like he said he wanted The Sopranos to be like a long epic version of continuing from uh, Goodfellas and like yeah. you know it's, it's one of those things where it's like yeah Ray Liotta's portrayal of Henry Hill in that will stay with me forever well I, I, I'd like to hear what our listeners think listeners get in touch we want to hear about your gangster films next time we talk about movies I'm going to move to prison which is another thing that I'm obsessed about <laughs> <laughs> another thing but we'll save that for next time um, top, top, three, top three as well top yeah three. let us know in advance we'll be talking about that in sooner or later but um uh, listen, thanks for, I mean, it's, we could talk about that one all day because there is so many good options, but it's good to get into some of that nitty gritty. Um, mm. D- Dane, let's let's hear your question because I'm, I'm excited to hear David's take on this. All right. Well, it actually is kind of loosely related to the previous question because obviously the gangster films are always known, like I said, for having these uh, very uh, powerful masculine roles and dealing with some themes and a lot of taboos and stuff. But a lot of the time, people would argue that the events that take place in gangster films is very Shakespearean. Right. Uh, so, for example, the story of Scarface, very similar to that of Macbeth, in that, you know, like Macbeth, Tony Montana perceives um, his superior, Frank Lopez, to be weaker than him. Mm-hmm. And so removes him only to later on in the film be removed by a more powerful force, you know, in the same way with Macbeth and a little water right. will not wash off this deed. But I say what I say this because for those who don't know, David, as well as being an accomplished actor, I met David as an accomplished Shakespearean actor with the Royal uh, Shakespeare Company. And initially, I wasn't even aware that that existed. And I think a lot of people, and it might be a conversation for another episode, are not aware of the large amount of contributions that black creatives make towards uh, Shakespeare as a subgenre of the arts. Right. Um, I think most of the time when people think about... Uh, the presence of black men in Shakespearean uh, plays. I can only think of uh, Mercutio in uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cisco was in, um, I, f- I can't remember what the film was called now, but it was based on A Midsummer's Night Dream. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, I remember him dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then, um, and then I guess the one, the obvious one is always going to be Othello. Yeah. Um, however, I've also heard stories about the people saying that Shakespeare was actually known for being actually quite pro-black and having a black love interest while he was alive. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the fact that to think that people still, uh, it's weird that you have people of a duality of celebrating Shakespeare's contribution to British culture. Right. But when he's depicting a African merchant of Venice, 
people aren't sure about black people's contribution to like, you know, civilization of that period, mm. which is weird. But I say all that to say this is that uh, obviously you are a trained and very talented Shakespearean actor. In your opinion, how positive would you say the works of Shakespeare are towards uh, Africans? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, that it's depicted a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I think uh, where Shakespeare's work has obviously stood the test of time and has been over time open to so much um, inter- different, so many different interpretations. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like that is the beauty of the work that we can go and then put on a, like they did at the RSC a few years ago, um, a Hamlet that's set in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, and do an all black version of that. I it, it's it's an interesting thing that a lot of the I wouldn't even say necessarily black characters to go and call them that because even if we would say like Othello mm-hmm. and Othello was a Moor and in terms of how we see black today and what mm-hmm. people tend to view, it's not exactly the same. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like we go and or, or, or is it? And we just don't know. I mean, it, it could, it really could have been, but in terms of you know, especially the sort of history that I learned, uh-huh. um, uh, uh, British history, more would be um, a very dark-skinned person or dark-skinned yeah, person yeah. wouldn't yeah, necessarily exactly. be the black as we know black now. Uh-huh. Like I, it, it, it would be something completely separate. But then you know, if you go and look at Merchant of Venice. Which I was in as well, you know. There's a video of that somewhere. I didn't play check, a big part. Check, check it out, y'all. No, don't sure. check it out because you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't get royalties and I'm not in it that much. <laughs> More meat, meat, sir. <laughs> I That's not, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> but saying that, you know, I think I think often sort of characters that could be seen as black or Moors were um, not necessarily seen as savages, but they had very much bit parts in um uh in his plays so say like the prince of morocco prince uh-huh. of morocco in merchant of venice um he's obviously a prince but he's a very wealthy prince and he values wealth and and money um above all else um and he's one of a, a potential uh, one of the potential suitors of the heroine in uh-huh. the play but you know, he's not given, um, I know he's not the best character for us to play. The guy and looking at a lot of Shakespeare characters as a black person, um, parts that are probably specifically black wouldn't be the most desirable ones. I mean, even in Othello, Othello isn't the most exciting part in the play. Yeah, yeah. If we're going and saying, look, that's the black character in there, he's one that gets easily swayed and ends up losing his mind and killing his wife. Uh, do you know what I mean um so yeah I don't know but no it's cool but because because the question because I, I mean I'm only saying because growing up like I said I grew up ensconced with gangster films and mm. those films in terms of the themes would have spoke to me a lot more than I would have thought a Shakespeare's play would speak to me so then when I remember Prince Charles being like we need to bring back Shakespeare to kids in schools I'd be like shut up you're cheating on your wife <laughs> <laughs> But when I actually read my first or oh, first two plays, so when I, Julius Caesar was the play we read, and mm. um, 
yeah, so Julius Caesar and Macbeth. And I was like, right. no, nah, this is actually all right. And um, then I, and I started thinking about things like, you know, the fact that we say that uh, the common, the peasantry speaks in prose and, you know, the uh, the middle class or the uh, main people in were speaking poetry in Shakespeare plays. Right. I'm like, I mean, that's kind of how black people speak anyway, compared to most people. Like, Oh, crazy. listen, we got all types of rhythm in our bones. And, well, that's what I mean. So that. even naturally, in terms of like, you know, the speech patterns of the diaspora and how that links between continents and countries is that we have a form of poetry we use and what we speak in. And also right. the, most, the most prevalent uh, musical genre in the world right now, being hip hop, is essentially mm. poetry over music, which again comes from the uh, diaspora. So, and, I, and what, I, what I want to ask is that, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that they has to, you'd have to look for black roles in Shakespeare. It's right. more like, yeah, like I said, do you feel like there's enough uh, artistic breath given that you can you can portray a, most characters from Shakespeare's plays in the same way that like your white counterparts can. Um, it requires some editing. Uh-huh. There's certain things in certain plays that you read and you're like, oh, okay, this is um, <laughs> yeah, we got to take out this, like referring to Moors as savages or black people. Or, do you know yeah. what I mean? Certain uh-huh. things in there that you're just like, mm, yeah, we we can't use that. Uh-huh. Um. But I feel like that's sort of what you have to do with a lot of plays anyway. Uh-huh. I mean, from that time, you'll go back to plays from the 40s and 50s uh-huh. that you would want to you, you do a revival on and you'd have to go in and edit them a lot as well because it, that was obviously a different time. And I feel like if you want work, like like if you want Shakespeare's work to go and continue, then they have to be open to interpretation. Uh-huh they have to go and and appeal to um a modern day audience yeah. and how we view things you do can't you think, go i mean sorry go ahead yeah do you think that there should be more colorblind casting or do you do you support that kind of move obviously it's quite controversial yeah i think with with um if there's real genuine purpose behind it I think if you're just going and you're saying, yeah, no, I'll tell you what, it's going to jazz it up. Let's put a black dude in that part. And be like, listen, no, no, no. If there's no, especially if you look- As Julius Caesar, yeah? All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Caesar wasn't black, dude. No, no, no. Nothing. It's, exactly. I think if, well, if you're doing something, knives, yeah? <laughs> if you're doing something like Merchant of Venice, um, which there's a large amount of anti-Semitism in it. Oh yeah, um, and I don't. I, I, I'm not saying that 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 play shouldn't be performed, but um, if you're gonna like, like at the end of the day, you need to. When we did it, we made sure like, look, we want to go in and highlight the fact that um, a lot of these characters are extremely anti-Semitic. And we're going to go and we're going to say that. And we're, we're, we're um, not going to go in and spoon feed to people that it's wrong, but it's clearly wrong by the way that they go in and treat um, Shylock, mm. by the way, by the things that they say. It's clearly wrong. And we're not going and glorifying that. We're going and showing what this society and what these people were like. Um, and so going and then changing that and making the character not Jewish would make absolutely no sense in the yeah. context of that play. Uh-huh. Um, now, if you can go and then put in a character um, and say like a Macbeth. Now, 
there's nothing about the character of Macbeth that would go and be like, no, black person wouldn't understand. Mm-mm, no, a black person wouldn't have those emotions, wouldn't know it. There's nothing in there to go in and suggest that. What you're talking about is a human being. Uh-huh. Mm. This naturally um, leads me to say, why do you think there's such a big fuss about Bond in this scenario? Because obviously that's yeah. been talked about for so long, right? The thing about Bond is, um, like at the end of the day, I wouldn't necessarily mind whether there's a black Bond or not. I think if you're going purposely to go and create a black opportunity, I think come up with a completely new story. Go and there's there's loads of talented writers out there. There's loads of stories that have yet to be told. Go and create a whole new story. That's such a good point, man. I, I, I should have asked that as a question because, you know, it's an interesting point in terms of what the industry is now, David. Like I personally feel like, as I'm sure you see clearer than I do, we've scraped the barrel for um, nostalgia and for revamping these old um, stories. Mm. And I think it's weird that now the argument is because of the fact that a, an idea is being recycled where you may replace a white protagonist, male protagonist, with a black woman protagonist, like in this case, be it Lashawna Lynch being 007 as opposed to Daniel Craig, yeah? yeah. And I was like, that caught, or like women being Ghostbusters and then people like, oh, what? losing their mind over it, yeah? But I think that that's more a function of what people don't understand is that you are dealing with a industry and if there's people that own money for intellectual property, because someone owns the name and the concept of James Bond as they mm. do with the Ghostbusters, so it makes commercial interest for them because they probably were able to ascend to powerful positions within studios or within the industry based on the previous success of these franchises. So it's not really about them having, you know, black women because they want to be progressive or having women. It's because it's like, we still want to make money off this trademark and this Ghostbusters thing and from the merchant and stuff. Let's try and get this demographic of predominantly women instead. I don't think there's anything else. Yeah. So I think you're right. It's, 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 it's more the old guard trying to, trying to still hold on to their capitalist powers rather than allowing for new creatives to come in and for that power shift to kind of change. Because like you think about it, like before uh, the prevalence of HBO and box sets, then yeah, as, you, as Howard said, you had to go and watch a three-hour rich epic film in a form of like The Godfather. Whereas now you can break that up and watch a Narcos now because mm-hmm. you have the technology to kind of facilitate that. So yeah, so I guess, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that do you think it's a question of rather than, so yeah, I guess maybe rather than focus on the accessibility of historic uh, artistic institutions like Shakespeare? Do you think it's at a point now where it's like, let's just tell some new stories anyway, and then you won't need to try and well, slot in? Well, the thing about, I mean, there's a, look, Shakespeare, we've gone and then revered him for so many years um, that I think that it's it's important to go and, and create these new productions out there. Because look, the, the plays are really, really good. It's great writing, um, especially with theatre. Theatre, you're able to go and do that, to recycle these shows and come up with new productions and stuff. With with something like film, um, film and TV, there is already, um, there's already uh, archive footage of that. It's already there. The film is the film. The film is made. So to go in and recycle that, over and over again. You're not really adding much to it other than updating the visuals. But I'm telling you, if if they, all they care about is this, can this thing get a KFC meal and get the bread, get the bread well, that, that way? I'll tell you what, the, <laughs> the thing is, going and, going and adding, because black isn't a personality trait. So when yeah, you go in and exactly. do, oh, um, I'm going to make, a, oh, and, and oh, in the same way somewhat, uh, being a woman isn't a personality trait. 
So to go and make an all-female Ghostbusters, that doesn't do anything. You're pretty much trying to go in and be like, we have the same, we can, we can do exactly the same thing, but with women. Or we can do exactly the same thing, but with black people. Yeah. It's fascinating. Not- it's fascinating to think, just uh, going back a step, that if you did recast everyone in Goodfellas as black guys, it would change the, <laughs> it would, it would have an alter, it would, it would in that sense alter the perspective of the audience, right? They would, they, it, it just, well, it's funny. Remember the guys, would, would. Uh, you don't see American gangster when they tell the FBI that Frank Lucas is in control of this enormous opium empire. And he's mm. like, there is no way a black person is running an organization of this size. That's how yeah. he was able to get away with it. Cause they were like, there's no way a black guy can do this. And that, but and then that, and you have to change the story so much mm. um, that you might as well come up with a new story. Absolutely. If you have to go and change it that much, if, 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 if that is so different in your mind it, by going and just changing the color of these characters, mm. that it completely changes the story, then do a different story. Do something else. You can, you can go in and look, a lot of things can be inspired by... by um, uh, you know, past stories. So say like The Lion King is, is inspired by, um, it's a retelling of um, Hamlet. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a retelling of Hamlet, but it's set in, you know, do you know what I mean? It's set in Africa, it's animals, it's animation. They go and then have to rewrite it and change it pretty much so, so that to a lot of people it's unrecognizable. Mm. So go and do that. Don't just say, hey, this is um, Hamlet, but with animals. Yeah, yeah. This way we yeah. Yeah, fill it, yeah, and fill it in. Because I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of aspects of, the, of, of, I think, where Shakespeare was able to, yeah, ability to capture a thematic aesthetic. It kind of leaves it open to be able to retell the stories a lot of time anyway. I'm just yeah. saying, David, the reason why I ask is because I'm like, there's about 12 Spider-Mans, but no Nancy films. What's going on, <laughs> bruv? They're creating that still. And mm. Nancy. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, who's 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 um? Do, oh, is it? You know, look or something. Yeah, I don't want to. You don't have to do Listen, look, yeah, I can't rare, be talking rare, about things. Yes, Bray Rabbit and that, and Calabashes and that. Yeah. Um, Listen, it's being made, <laughs> isn't it? It's being made. All right. All right. Well, I'm putting, let's put the energy out there to see David on that poster for that. For, for that, for that We're ready. We're all ready. Um, I've got to say, this has been a brilliant episode because we've had three completely varied questions that have allowed us to do what this show does best, which is go up and down and in all sorts of directions. Uh, it's been a joy to talk to David. Hey, hey Dane? Absolutely. Well, this is a regular thing for me. Um, oh, well, good. Like, I, well, I, I don't have I, this, you know. I've, histori- <laughs> I've historically been entertained by David, uh, who, who kept who kept everybody's uh, vibes positive throughout the filming of Sunny D, um, yeah, which is which I'm currently available that. on the iPlayer. Yeah, stream it on the yeah. iPlayer, guys, so check that out. But uh, for those people who have already been Sunny D, Pierre Times, David, uh, where else can we find your good works? Uh, where can people see you at the moment, please? Oh, snap. <laughs> you know what? It's mad when people say that now, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, so what you got going on? What you been doing? I've been in my house and uh, <laughs> chilling, you know? No, no, but I actually do have... So I'm writing stuff at the moment and you know how it is with writing commissions, so I can't really say what they are. Yeah, of because, course. Like they're giving me the money, but they ain't said they're making it, so it's pointless. It's like me coming out and being like, "Listen, I had trials for United, you know? Did you get it? <laughs> no, but I had trials, dude. It was trials for them. Yeah, but so, you're saying that as if like my trials at uh, women's uh, Pathanikos B team <laughs> don't count. But that's professional football, David. So maybe you want to make it. All right, well, uh, okay. football's football, bro. Oh. At the end of the day, them women thought I had potential. 
So anyway, uh, <laughs> it's Dean Dogs as well. I've got like I recorded a um, uh, play for Radio Four, which is on at the moment. I think the final episode. No. The fourth episode is on tonight, but the first four you can stream on iPlayer. So go and do that. I have quite a big role in that. So listen up. Mm. Check that well, out, guys. And also, if you missed it, uh, as I said, uh, you can find David performing alongside or working alongside a uh, friend of the podcast and a friend, mutual friend Mo Gilligan on the Cube. So it should be on uh, mm. iTunes oh, yeah. on See how that works. Well, it's all for a good cause. Stream um, Sunny D because the more, stream, the more chance there is of season two in it. So just stream that because that would exactly. be nice. Exactly. We didn't even talk about that madness in it, but we, we, another time. We will another time. time. We'll find a way to re- we, we tell those stories. But yeah, I am. Um, I remain positive. They can't. Can't keep some good man <laughs> <laughs> David, thanks for coming on the show, mate. It's Thank been you brilliant. very much, David. Thank um, you. Appreciate and, it. Uh, let's let's catch up again soon, brother. Yeah, man, for sure. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTiste. Our guest was David Ajayo. You can follow David on Twitter at David underscore Ajayo. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.